This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. It is Monday, gentlemen, and I've got my new North Cascades mug today. What are you guys sporting? OG, what do you got? <laughs> oh, he's <laughs> got <laughs> he's got a <laughs> He's got a he is foreshadowing. In. Got a Walt. Got a Walt Disney World mug. Yeah, maybe a little foreshadowing there. Uh, we might have recorded a piece of the show that you'll hear later, a little earlier. Uh, Doug, how about you? I got nothing because I've been up for six hours and finished my coffee for a oh. long time ago. Wow! So I'm empty-handed at the moment, but I will still raise a virtual. Yes. Cup. Because of the fact that on Mondays, we talk about what a great weekend we had because there are people that have been protecting us, men and women protecting us, making it easy for us to just go about our business, enjoy our weekend. And today we salute our troops. On behalf of the men and women making podcasts here, Mom's Basement, and the men and women at Navy Federal Credit Union, big shout out to the people protecting us. Let's go stack some Benjamins, everybody. Hey, this is Joe's sister, Nikki. I think I might be the only girl in the world who has a brother who spends his entire day in the basement pretending he has an internet radio show. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's The Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and are you behaving with your money? I'm going to as soon as I order one more. Ow! Man, I so regret giving Joe's mom the remote to my shock collar. At the time, I thought it'd be a good idea for her to help me curb my spending. Man, ah! Maybe there's a better way, which is why we brought in financial behavioral expert, Dr. Brad Klontz. For our TikTok Minute, We'll learn how one man became a millionaire by 27. In our headlines, bonds are back in the news. Time to jump in? Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Scott 
to shine some light on the profitability of solar panels. And then I'll share some rather naughty trivia. And now, two guys who want to help you spend the... God, Mom, I'm talking about them spending, not me. Get your hands off the remote. Okay, two guys will help you save your money. Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. Everybody and happy Monday, and I love how her hand is uh, specifically geared towards spending and not toward naughty. Like naughty, oh, that's fine. I'm not going to yeah. shock him for that. Yes, shocking. Although she's when it comes her to favorite new thing, she's having a lot of fun with that spending money. Hey, everybody, happy Monday to you. I'm Joe Salci. Hi, Average Joe Money on Twitter. Doug, uh, not a happy Monday for you, but we're going to get into this anyway. You're going to be okay. Things are going to go well. There's burn marks on my neck now. I got to wear a turtleneck and 70 degrees out. <laughs> Just like in high school when you had the hickey. <laughs> the dicky, you, you, I think you need to see me in a dicky because well, you, you keep you, talking about me wearing dickies. You said dicky, I said hickey, which is funny because you probably never had one. So <laughs> well, let's talk to the other guy here at the table. Mr. OG joins us for a Monday. How are you, big guy? It's uh, I've got all of the fire and brimstone that comes with a Monday on multiple fronts. Uh, he is bringing it today. I've got some post material that you know has got me all tuned up. I'm 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 on text with some uh, a mastermind that's got me all fired up. I, nice. I I can't promise anything. Uh, you know, no, no velvet today on the hammer. All our listeners want from you is the sandpaper. All that's all they're looking for. So just there bring is it. No, and- oh, I don't even know the opposite of sandpaper, but it's not. There's none of it. I think we got all of OG's hot buttons today. We've got bonds. That's a hot button. Oh, we've got b- controlling behavior. Which is another hot button. <laughs> yes, it's going to be good. There's there's a few jokes I could throw in there, but I'll let that go. The kindling. We've got the kindling all set. All we need is a match. So let's light this thing. But before we do that, you know what I was thinking about earlier today as I was uh, setting up the stuff, getting ready for this recording, guys? I was thinking about this. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Well, you know what I think about Navy Federal? I think about the veterans that have done so much for our country. And I also think about some of our active service members. Want to say a special shout out to Uh, My nephews, Colin and Nathan, who are both in the Navy. Colin is stationed outside Seattle, Washington on a submarine. And my nephew, Nathan, is in South Africa as an air traffic controller. And in Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants you also to celebrate members, many of whom go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools 
to empower their members and help them reach their goals. It's all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their family are eligible for Navy Federal membership. They offer 24-7 help from their U.S.-based member service. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate to see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, I'm still thinking about it. You, were, I was off in a daydreamy place thinking about that. You brought me so back. amazing. Dr. Brad Klontz waiting in the wings. He's upstairs with mom. I think he might have his finger on the shock button as well. <laughs> Let's uh, get moving though on our headline first. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our headline today comes to us from MarketWatch. I thought, oh, gee, be all about this one. Jeffrey Gonlatch, the huge uh, money manager. I I don't mean huge like he eats cheeseburgers all day. (laughs) I mean, he manages a lot of money. Let's be a little little, little clear. He might be a big dude as well. I don't know. Could be as well. No, no judgment either way. Jeffrey Gundlach says in this headline written by Steve Goldstein, bonds are, quote, wickedly cheap compared to stocks and offers one way to get a 9% return, 9% return, OG, without much risk. And uh, I don't think he's wrong. I, I read this headline. I'm like, you know what? Bonds pretty, pretty cheap right now. I mean, everybody has uh, fled the bond market. Bonds have lost a bunch of money. And... Uh, Looking pretty, looking pretty juicy, OG. What do you think? Time to get get me some. Well, I guess it just depends on how much money you actually like losing over long periods of time. But um, I know what you're saying. You're talking about like a short term trade, right? You're saying, hey, interest rates have gone up, and if you know how interest rates and price work at, at duration, you're thinking, okay, interest rates have gone up it means bond prices have gone down. Eventually, they have to lower interest rates again. Therefore, I'll make money. The problem is you're partially correct if you actually go out and buy the actual individual bond itself, right? If you go buy a 10-year treasury today at whatever price it's selling for and at whatever rate, and interest rates go down over the next decade, uh, at some point in time, that bond could be priced at a higher value than what you paid for it. The problem is, is that most people don't buy individual bonds. They buy bond funds and there's constant turnover going on within those products. So you're not going to get that quote-unquote guaranteed 9% type deal because the bond fund manager has hundreds and hundreds of thousands of those that they're turning over from time to time, and the return that you get will be much more muted because of that fact. They're not going to buy a whole bunch of stuff today and hold it for the next 10 years. They're going to constantly be turning it over. So that becomes a drag, I guess, on that on that potential performance. Nevertheless, bonds suck at all times. You got to know how individual bonds work then to start playing that game versus just going out and buying a bond fund. That's a whole different game than just going out and buying a bond fund. Yeah. And again, if you're investing for a long period of time, if you're investing for something you know, like your financial independence, there's almost no reason to have fixed income. Why would you lend people money as opposed to owning the company? Just go on the company. I want to talk about that in a second because there's a bunch of people out there who might be new to our show that are wondering how the heck you're losing money over the long term by buying something is pretty safe. But before we get to that, I want to talk about Gundelach talks about why. 
why he thinks Bonds may be in, may be in for even more goodness. He recalls an ad for Crown Royal whiskey. How about that? This is going to be a good analogy. In which top a, shelf stuff. In which a referee tells drinkers to take a water break. Oh, he's a man of the people. He manages like fifty bajillion dollars. Man of the people. Okay. The tagline is, says Gundelach, stay in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Fed started partying, which is a euphemism for tightening. They take one shot, two shots, back to back, three shots, and now three more. Like, dude, have a water, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> slow it down. So he thinks, he thinks the Fed is going to just continue taking shots, OG, a little bit too far, overcorrect. And then we get bonds in the in the wheelhouse. Stocks become uh, become much more difficult even than they have been lately. The only thing that the Federal Reserve can do now is try to fix the inflation issue. You know, no matter what anybody says on TV and whatever kind of rosy, you know, well, it's only gone. It's going down now. It's only eight percent inflation. See, that's great. <laughs> like whatever kind of rosy sales job people try to spin on the news. The fact of the matter is, is that it costs more money today to buy the same goods and services, substantially more today to buy the same goods and services than it did this time a year or two ago. So the only solution to that is to make the money supply change. And the only solution to that, or the only way to make that happen, or one of the only ways is to uh, make it cost more to borrow money. And that's going to cause more of financial issues, more of a recession-esque behavior in stocks but that's way better than inflation. So it's it's the it's the lesser of two evils here and and the faster that we get it done, the faster that, you know, we get back to normal. But I wish that they would just rip the band-aid off, you know, like raise interest rates to, you know, a percent each month for the next couple of months until it really just craters the economy and then and then fix it. Uh, you know, I I still think there's an easier way to do this. Just head down to your local circuit court and buy bail bonds. They're a lot simpler. They're not nearly as, they don't have all these structures. And you have lots not, of experience in this, it sounds like, you know. Yeah, straight. that's why I know it's easy. <laughs> every, t- every time you're in municipal court, <laughs> it's such a low number. I, when you go there, actually, when you go there, that's true. That, that Those are your bargain basement bonds. When you're just at the little muni Non-violent court, those criminal. are cheap. Your right, honor. No. I'm your neighbor, Doug. Doug, you bring up a good point, though, is that bonds are difficult to understand. And from Investopedia, I have this piece called Four Basic Things to Know About Bonds. And I think, oh, gee, this will help people understand why over the long term you lose money being in bonds. The first thing is to understand the basics just of how they work. An individual bond, OG, has a maturity. It's just a loan that you're giving to a company, which means... When you loan people money, there's limited upside. You don't have all the upside that you will. Stock market's blue sky. With a bond, you know exactly. What, if you buy an individual bond, which means you're loaning money to a company, you know exactly what you're getting into, which I think to your point means it's often less money than you'll make if you invest in ownership. I mean, it's it's profoundly less money to the to the, I mean, it's, I mean, think about your investing time horizon here. Let's say that you're 40 years old and you're thinking, okay, I've got about 20 years. You know, I got 20 years from an investment time horizon. If we use the last 20 years as a guide, just as a for instance, there's been a lot of stuff that's happened, right? Housing, recession, wars, COVID, all sorts of crazy stuff going on, right? It's reasonable to assume craziness will happen in the next two decades as well. The Lehman aggregate bond market, which is just ticker symbol AGG, 
compared to the S&P 500, which is a proxy for the U.S. stock market, AGG, even money in the last 20 years, pretty much. S&P 500 up 220 some odd percent. Like, how can you be, how can you, if, if your time horizon is two decades from now, how do you make any progress if one of your investment allocations is pretty much even money? And you say, well, different interest rate environment. I get all that. So look at some higher duration or higher interest rate type things, like a 20-year bond. That returned 25% over the last 20 years. Not bad. 25% is pretty cool, right? But compared against 200%, it's not even in the ballpark. It doesn't make any sense to have any of your long-term money invested in things that can't grow at a rate that's greater than inflation. Even even to get rid of the historical stuff, which I think is important for investors to do, but just looking at this OG philosophically, philosophically, the owner of the company is going to either make more or lose more over time than if you loan money to somebody, right? But if you practice the law of large numbers and you buy into an index, you diversify, now you mitigate a lot of that downside risk of ownership while pumping up your ability to make more money through ownership. Well, think of it this way. If you are the owner of that company, right? And you say, I want to build another factory. I need to borrow money to do that. The bank is going to evaluate the prospects of you being able to pay the loan back. And and you're evaluating as the owner of that organization, your prospects of being able to make money beyond the loan payment. Why would you build an entire building and staff it with people and all that sort of stuff unless you're going to make money doing it? So you're full of hope and optimism and the bank only cares whether or not you're going to make enough to pay the loan back. That's how they make their money. So yeah, being the owner is, I mean, I, I know you said not to look at the history, but being the owner, it pays off over history. And and I think even more so if you're diversified, like you said, you kind of eliminate that single single company risk and and basically ride the wave of the entire economy. Time for our TikTok Minute. This is a segment of the show where we shine the light on a TikTok creator, either giving some great advice or some quote great advice. And uh, today we have one. Uh, OG, think this is great or air quotes, great advice we're about to hear. I always think the Communist Chinese Party TikTok will always be <laughs> air quotes great. I was just listening to uh, Professor Scott Galloway from the Stern School of Business, who's going to be here on Wednesday listening to him on stage recently in New York City saying that he thinks in the next three years, TikTok will be one of the largest companies on earth, which is scary when you look at how much you give them when it comes to permissions. However, today, apparently they've given us permission to shine a light on this gentleman who's, well, let's, uh, let's listen to his Big advice. Tip. Tip that made me a millionaire by 27. One, the more you learn, the more you earn. There's two curves in the world. There's a learning curve and an earning curve. The more you focus on the learning curve, your earning curve always follow. Make sure you always spend time learning. Two, who you hang out with is who you become. You can hang out with people who are pessimistic, who are negative, who are people who don't think nothing is possible. You're going to become that. If you hang out with people who are positive, who are actually dreaming big, who are successful, you're going to become that. Three. Understanding the value of money. I was blessed growing up with no money 
and my parents didn't have a lot of money. So at early age, I had multiple jobs and I worked 40, 50, 60 hours a week. And I know what it takes to make $100, $1,000, $10,000. So when I was younger, I used to save my money. And if I want something really, really, really bad, that's actually was expensive, I splurge on it once in a while. My main focus was to work hard and I save my money and tell something I really want. Today, what I see people do is they always splurging, 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 and they never actually save any money for anything. This is the same mindset, you guys. I took into real estate investing and grow my portfolio. This is the same mindset I'm teaching my kid how to have today. That is uh, T-H-A-C-H-N. And I think, OG, you can see why he has 2 million followers on, uh, I think, uh, close to 2 million followers. Yeah. I mean, so much we can we can dive into there. Uh, what is very telling, though, we've talked a lot lately about people emphasizing the value of showing up. Sam, Financial Samurai, kept showing up. How many? Did he say he had 30 interviews at Goldman Sachs before he got the job? Mm-hmm. He kept showing up and showing up. And that first day when he was getting on the bus for his interview and he was one of about 20 people that actually showed up for this interview on this bad day was step one to this long process of actually getting this very high paying job. Same thing we talked about with Bola Secundi, five hour commute, right? To make her life better. Five hours in the car. She showed up. She actually, until her boss asked, you know, Hey, so where exactly do you live? Um, Philadelphia. You commute from Philadelphia to New York every day. Like what the hell are you doing? She showed up. She showed up. And what's telling though is the very first comment on here is some dude going, yeah, the problem is I don't have any friends. (laughs) Very telling. People are not going to show up. What was telling to me, I mean, he lost me almost immediately when he had the clever phrase, uh, you know, there's two curves in the world, the earning curve and the learning curve. But that tells me he's a flat earther. He doesn't think there's a curve on earth. And so I'm like, I'm out, dude. Oh boy. The learning curve. I love the There are more than two curves. That's all I'm saying. I love the look on OG's face right now. Just the, oh, here it comes. Is it coming? No. I thought he was getting ready to press a button. Uh, Hey, coming up, we've got Mr. Brad Klontz, uh, doctor, excuse me, Mr. Whoa. Dr. Brad Klontz Easy cowboy. Is, is joining us. Uh, Brad is also a guy with tons of followers on TikTok. I think uh, over a million people now follow Dr. Brad Klontz. And the reason he's on TikTok is because so many people get so much bad advice there, which allows us to have this amazing TikTok segment that he dives in and hopefully changes the tide so people get some good advice on TikTok. He's in Emily and my new book, Stacked. We talk about his approach to behavior and how, as you know, OG, behavior is everything when it comes to your investments. When I was a financial planner a long, long, long time ago, it was all about sales strategies. And as you know, OG, it's much more about psychology now. And CFP recently just added a whole piece on psychology to their criteria for being a certified financial planner. And because of that, uh, Dr. Klontz has written a new book specifically for financial planners. We're going to talk financial planners. We're going to talk psychology. Even more than that, we're going to talk about staying in the game and doing the right thing with your money. But as a way to get us there, I think, Doug, you got some trivia for us. Hey there, stackers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Behavior and psychology aren't the only things that affect your spending. Turns out 
drinking can also make the difference. How do you think I got the shot collar? One day, Joe's mom comes out of her cave, sees a whole bunch of empty bottles near me and a stack of Amazon boxes. Next thing I know, I'm waking up with a Pitbull 5000 zip tied to my jugular and Joe's mom's logged into all my credit cards. But I'm not the only one with the problem. In 2021, Finder did a survey to estimate what people were spending on drunk shopping and found that it was $21.6 billion. So my question is, how much did people spend on boozy buying the year before, in 2020, during which, you might remember, there wasn't much else to do? I'll be back with the answer after I check if that nice Nick Cage pillow is back in stick. Good, good mom, I was checking for a friend. I'm not, not me, I'm, I'm buying it for a friend. Well, if you're new to Stacking Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because, well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. When you become a member of Navy Federal Credit Union, life gets better. You know, buying a car can be a challenge these days, and that's why they've created at Navy Federal a fully loaded car buying experience to get rid of those challenges and make it so much easier. You see the average price of a car approaching $50,000 now. It's amazing what's going on in the car world. And that's why you need some sanity when you go car shopping. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all from one convenient place. Navy Federal is pre-approval that's good for 90 days so you know what you can afford while you shop. Have your budget in mind, create a plan, and then go out there and shop. And you can shop for new and used cars with Navy Federal's car buying service powered by TrueCar. You can also get exclusive member savings with Carfax, SiriusXM, and more. They're always available with 24-7 member service representatives to answer any question. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash carbuying. That's NavyFederal.org slash carbuying. Credit and collateral subject to approval. Navy Federal Credit Union is federally insured by NCUA. Hey there, stackers. I'm Sober Saver and Behavioral Therapy Success Case. Trying to be even keel here so I don't get injured. Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. 
In 2021, that 21.6 billion people spent? The math works out this way. The average drunk spender threw down $770 on purchases they might not have made before 10 a.m. So far, so good. That's when everyone else starts drinking, right? The most common purchase? That would be food, probably Doritos, followed by shoes, clothes, or accessories, and then, of course, cigarettes. Okay, so far, so good. So, how much did people drunk spend in 2020? More than twice as much as the $21.6 billion they spent in 2021, a whopping $45 billion. And now, to help us get a hold of ourselves, even without the use of electricity, Mom, Dr. Brad Klontz. And I'm super happy to finally welcome this gentleman to Mom's Basement. You know what's funny? He's in our book, Stacked, and he hasn't yet been on the show. I have no idea why we've had that oversight. Dr. Brad Klontz is here. How are you, man? Doing great. It was great to see you last week. Happy to meet with you here. I know. I felt like though, like with everybody at FinCon, I know you probably feel this way too. It was like, hi, good seeing you. Bye. Yep. That was pretty much it. Yeah. Not enough, not enough time. Hey, you know, I'm always curious how people get into their chosen field and how they get excited about what they do. And I'm, you know, you and I feel, I think really, at least I do really blessed by the fact that I get to hang out with people that seem very passionate about what they do. What was kind of your your homecoming into this idea of behavior and finance and the intersection of those two? Well, I grew up broke <laughs> in a family system that didn't have a lot of money. And I became very interested in money very early on in my life when I realized that there were things I couldn't do because we didn't have money. And I was really struck with this curiosity around why have some branches of my family been in the United States for like, you know, hundreds of years and we don't have a building with our name on it. We don't have any assets. We don't own any land. I come from very hardworking, good, conscientious people. And so I was really struck by that. And so I, as a kid, I started to research. I remember sitting down in middle school over at dinner at one of my friend's house and they, they lived in what I thought was a mansion. It was, it was a middle-class house and I couldn't believe the stuff they had. They had this yard. I remember interviewing my friend's dad, like, oh, what do you do for a living? And then how do I, how do I get that job? So I think as a kid, I was already starting to do some of that research because I saw a direct link between having money and having access to resources and experiences. Oh, that's interesting. That's the beginning. How did you then finally, I mean, did you just then fall into, okay, it's going to be behavior or did you have crappy jobs like I did along the way? Yeah, absolutely. Crappy jobs were essential in keeping me in school. And I was like, I realized very early on, and I, and I did all sorts of things. I worked in a graveyard. I, I worked in a did road you commission. Really? In, a, in a graveyard? I did. Yes. Yes. I buried people and I, I shoveled tons of asphalt every day. And for me, going to college was the best thing ever. I got to sleep in, you know, there was air conditioning. And I quickly realized that the longer I stayed in school, the more money I would get paid for working less. And so I arrived at that, or at least not sweating and breaking down my body. So when I got into college, I I decided I wanted to pursue a career in psychology to try to figure out my own highly dysfunctional family (laughs) and, and not wanting to recreate it. And I went to the occupational outlook handbook and I'm like, okay, so who, if I want to be a therapist, what career do I need to take to make the most money? I'm going to be doing the same job. What degree do I need to get to make the most money? 
And so I really did look at it like a, a business decision. And then flash forward, I had to borrow $100,000 in student loans to get through school. I was raised in a, you know, in a lower income family, but very frugal, like debt is bad, that kind of thing. And so I was really stressed by all that debt. And I saw a friend of mine make $100,000, Joe, trading stocks in one year. He made $100,000 day trading on margin. It was the most incredible thing. Oh, I was no. finally being exposed to investing and how rich people do it. And so I sold everything I owned of value. I bought a $500 car I was driving around. I put all my money in the stock market and I started to day trade, Joe, and it was incredible. I, I started to make a lot of money. And then the tech bubble burst four months later and I watched all my money melt away. And here I am a clinical psychologist and I ask myself this question, why would a reasonably intelligent person do something so stupid with his money? And that's what I've been trying to figure out for the last 20 years. <laughs> Still trying to figure out why I became a day trader. Exactly. Back in, back in what? In 1999 then? You were that, in 1999. That's it was, about three months before the crash. I got fired in 1999 by a client who, and we'll talk about this because it, it always drives me crazy when people see their financial advisor as somebody that competes against the market. But I got fired because our portfolio for these, this couple only did 45% and their buddies, as you know, in 1999, were doing 85, 90, 200%, you know, cause they were all loaded up in tech stocks. Exactly. Crazy time. Hey, I want to take off the, how did we begin hat to now Dr. Klontz is a professional. You sit at a place that's at the intersection of behavior and CFPs, especially here with your new book and the professional financial planning me being a guy from the early nineties financial planning, I was taught sales training, right? Mm -hmm. I worked for one of the few big firms that were actually charging a fee for a financial plan. There were certainly smaller firms doing it, but our big firm was starting to do it that I worked for. But most of my training was around selling products. I didn't get any behavior training today. As you note at the front of your book in the introduction, there's, there's quite a bit of training on psychology now to become a certified financial planner. But where do you think the CFP can make this better, Brad? Yeah, so I think that any person who's been doing financial planning for any period of time realizes that human beings are wired to just not do the right things around money, like quite often. And, you know, back to my example, like, you know, I, I had FOMO, I saw people making a lot of money. I, you feel a sense of panic inside. This is that prehistoric, like tribal cave person brain we all have. And so we're, we're really inclined to do the wrong thing constantly when it comes to money. And um, it plays out in every area of our life. And I think that's where financial planners who work so intimately with clients and money innervates every aspect of our lives in terms of what matters most. And so we're most vulnerable, for example, in worrying about our kids and how can we you know financially support them and without spoiling them. I mean, there's all these things that come into play. And I think the financial planning field as primarily working with individuals on an ongoing basis realize it's really important to understand their client psychology to serve them best. Yeah. But are they where they should be? Oh, well, Joe, obviously I'm going to say yes, um, because th <laughs> this has been my entire career. We're, we're just sort of limping into it as a field. So the CFP board, it was, only, it was less than a year ago, came out and said, hey, we're going to make 7% of the exam psychology of financial planning. 
which was great because part of their learning objectives, they go, they go grassroots, which is a really cool thing. So they actually survey financial planners and they're like, how much, you know, what are you dealing with every day in your office? And so this actually emerged as an area of interest and need before curriculums were even developed. So that's what I've been scrambling around doing for the last year. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting to see this develop into something real, but back to what you said earlier, which is, it's a, I'm going to quote you, the truth is our primal brains are not wired to make smart money decisions. I mean, this goes way, way, way back. You talk about how in the early days, I mean, we were kind of pack hunters. Let's talk about, talk for a second about our primal brain that you reference in your last book. Yeah. So like, I think that every sort of financial mistake we make or inclination to do the wrong thing makes absolute perfect sense when you understand how we have spent the bulk of our time on this earth in terms of trying to survive and thrive. And, you know, 99.9% of our time on this planet has been in this group of about 100 to 150 closely affiliated people. And this really matters in terms of what we're inclined to do with a focus on present day survival. So even the concept of saving goes against our natural programming. You couldn't save things to begin with. So for example, food, you couldn't really save it. So we're wired to consume as much as possible, as quickly as possible. And I know your listeners are understanding what I'm talking about, especially the fatty, sugary stuff. So we're going against our own biological programming by trying to tone that down. Same thing happens with money. We're also programmed to share. Like if you're in a tribe of 100 people and all of a sudden you're the hoarder of all the money, people aren't going to like you very much. And it's expected that you share with other people. And so just the concept of saving for our own individual selves, our own individual families goes against our, our wiring. And I'll give you one other example. We mentioned the tech bubble. That's the herd mentality. So we are wired. If our entire tribe is running in one direction, if we stay still, we die. And so all of your ancestors who had the tendency to want to stay still and be reasonable while the entire tribe is running away from something, they all got picked off. They did not pass on their genes. And so we are all very much vulnerable to things like FOMO. It's funny when you talk about sharing about how we think a sharing is so noble. And you talk about in your book how that goes way back. I mean, it was it was not only expected that you share so that everybody stays alive and your herd or your group stays alive, but because of that, it, it seems like the most noble thing we could do is for me to give you something. Well, that's right. And you know, that that tribal sense is all about survival in, in an area of limited resources. And so this is one of the reasons why people who are climbing the socioeconomic ladder right now, so if you grew up in a lower income environment, there can be a lot of social pressure for you to share what you have, because that's how you survive when there's a lack of resources. And so that's a challenge. As I know, you know, Joe, when people are trying to climb the ladder, they have to balance this why is it okay for me to save and invest if people around me don't have enough money? And, and the hack really is to try to try to find a way to do both and build that into the plan. It's funny. The lead singer of YouTube, uh, Bono, I heard him giving a interview once and he was talking about the difference in the United States, you, the culture in the United States versus Ireland where, where he grew up. But I think this is also prevalent in the United States, Brad. And I, in your book, you talk a little bit about this. But Bono said, he said, in the United States, you see the person up on the hill and you go, someday I'm going to be that person. Person living in a huge house, right? You go over to your neighbor's house, you think it's a mansion. You're like, oh, that's amazing. Middle class house. But he said in Ireland, what's hardwired into his life was always, instead of see that person on the hill, someday I'm going to be that person with that house. In Ireland, it was see that person on the hill, someday I'm going to get that 
<laughs> there's this, right. There's this right. big, but I feel like the U.S. is kind of there too now, right? Right. Well, you know, rich is is a a word that we like to ascribe to people who have more than we do, and it always has a little stank on it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I think it's a bit ironic too, is that um, it's a very relative term, and so compared to the rest of the world, the average American is is filthy, dirty, disgustingly rich. And so it's, I always find it fascinating when we project a bunch of stuff on people and social media too, you know, back to that sort of tribal sense that the, the feeling that we're being left behind, that we're being left out really does inspire us to take action. And so one of the reasons I'm on social media and I make the content I do is because many young people are being exposed to what, what comes down to actually misinformation about how people become wealthy and the psychology of people who become wealthy because we're seeing people leaning against Lamborghinis. Hey, no offense if you have a Lamborghini, Joe. Um, but, you know, standing in front of mansions, wearing designer clothes, all of this stuff. And if you look behind it, it's sales driven. You're trying to get people to buy your course or whatever it is. And it also goes against what we know based on the research on how self-made millionaires, for example, become self-made millionaires. And it, they don't they actually don't spend like that is what all the studies show. Well, and that's that, I guess, is my next question. So armed with the fact that we are these imperfect beasts when it comes to achieving this objective of financial independence and financial security. What's our first steps then, Brad, to kind of fight against that? The most important part, I think, is because so many of us feel so ashamed about it. You know, we have a lot of shame around money. I mean, there's shame you have too much, shame you have too little, shame for all the mistakes you make, which is why I love to talk about all my mistakes. We're all in the same club here. We're wired to do this wrong. So I think de-shaming is really important because that'll keep a lot of us stuck and also understanding that we're just wired to do it all wrong. And so we have to overcome our impulses. So for example, in the stock market, I mean, the impulse when the market's going down and, and you're going to feel this on a visceral level is I got to sell. I got to, everyone's selling. It's the wrong thing to do. You know, when markets are down and, and, you know, stocks have taken a hit, it's the worst time to sell. And conversely, when things are screaming up, like in the tech bubble, I even knew that there was something wrong with this when I'm sitting next to my friend and he's buying, you know, all these shares of a company. And I literally say, well, what company is that? And he's like, I don't know. Click. And he buys more. (laughs) I had a sense there's something wrong with this. However, (laughs) he's making money. I don't want to feel like I'm being left. I don't want to feel left out. So I think understanding that really, really does help because we have to override those impulses. So, and there's a lot of things that you point out in your book. And I want to start off with one environment. Tell me about the environmental things around you that we got to be wary about. Yeah. So the environment, it has a profound impact on the beliefs that we adopt related to money and then our financial behaviors and outcomes. And we're seeing this generationally too. I just saw a very disturbing study that millennials are, are trading at a rate that Gen X and previous generations never did. Drives there's me this crazy. incredible confidence. Yeah, there's this incredible confidence. I'm going to beat the market. And if you think about it environmentally, they were raised, many of them, in a context in which it was the biggest bull market in history. So quite literally, you could buy anything and it would be going up. We then have this problem where we um, then attribute this success to our brilliance in trading. And actually, one of the best things that happened to me is I didn't have five years of great day trading before I lost all my money. Because at that point, the stakes would have been way higher. So the best thing that happened to me was three months into it, I got destroyed. That That's one of the unfortunate consequences of an environment in a bull market. And certainly other examples like the Great Depression 
led to an entire generation of hoarders who are very anxious about money and afraid that they don't have enough. And so the environment, the culture has a profound impact on our experiences. So you're saying the first thing I'm hearing then is just this shock absorber, like the shock absorber between what I feel and what I do. That's right. And the environment is something we're all swimming around in and we're not even conscious that other people are having different experiences than we are. I always find it fascinating when I see on social media people complaining about how bad things are. And it's like, just if, be a student of history and you're going to realize that, yes, the stock market has taken a hit. It's done this and that and the other. But have you ever heard of the Great Depression? Because things were a lot worse right. then. You know? right. And when you look at the last hundred years, you know the stock market has returned an uh, average of over 10% a year for the last hundred years. But we become really myopically focused on this very short time frame. And I think it really does help to broaden out that perspective. Well, you know, we talked a little bit about social media. You have a very robust TikTok presence. And I'm wondering, just this idea of sharing, you know, there have been studies. There was a study I read a few weeks ago that showed that people that are Gen X, uh, uh, less likely to share. Boomers, even less likely to share anything financially. Gen Z, very, very open to sharing. What do you think about this idea of sharing back and forth? Does it depend on the message or, I mean, is sharing a good thing or a bad thing? Well, what's interesting is that um, we're all wired to share, right? Um, so we all have that sort of instinct. The question is how much and how do we do it so that we're actually not like hurting somebody else? Like there's actually situations in which you giving money to other people actually hurts them. So just being aware of that, you know, people who are involved in some sort of addiction or overspending sort of uh, chronic cycle. So being, being conscious of that. But I think some of it comes from the environment in which we've experienced money, and so, for example, with the Great Depression, so many people were traumatized because literally they're going to bed hungry. And so we have a tendency to hold on to our money so that we can protect ourselves and our family. If you grew up in a time of plenty, um, it's so interesting, too, when you look at savings rates, for example. The savings rates right at the beginning of COVID were some of the most high, the highest in history. And it, what's so fascinating is that was a pretty rough time. And when you look at times when times where money's flush and everybody's, you know, enthusiastic and optimistic, people save almost nothing. And so the irony there is when times get worse and money gets tighter, people end up having more money that they save. And when they feel great about the future, people just spend in ways that are, you know, quite irresponsible, actually. It's so wild how that's just flipped. Right. Yeah, it's fascinating because it goes against what you would think. You would think you'd be saving less when times are tighter, but that's it's actually the opposite. I want to ask you again, just a little bit about sharing, because we talk about sharing what we make. We talk about sharing, well, you know, sharing the way that we talked about early on, but giving each other advice, holding each other accountable. I kind of think that if you were sharing with that guy back in 1999 and he's sharing with you, like him sharing with you, what he was buying helped you learn the wrong thing. He has no idea, but it must be okay to have no idea because this dude's making tons of money. Is this, is this where the financial planner comes in? Is this where having this, I guess, this level of expertise comes in? I think it does. And, you know, one of the reasons I got, I got on TikTok, for example, I'm almost shy to talk about it because I have a very specific audience there that I'm willing to go to any measure to influence, to be honest. <laughs> um, you know, but one of the reasons I got on there is because my nephews were showing me TikTok and I was like, whoa. And then all of a sudden I saw a day trader pop up and this was about like three or four years ago. And I'm like, oh my God, it's back. 
Are you kidding me? I thought like everybody learned their lesson. And then I was like, of course not. We're in a bull market. And so there's there's absolutely, people are learning this stuff on social media, like young people are. I have a passion towards teaching young people. And so that's the reason why I'm on there. They're getting their information from people. And at that conference we were just at, we did a session on TikTok. I'm like, we need all these personal finance experts to create more content because there's so much misinformation out there. And that's where people are learning. And and social media is really strange. We can talk about it for a lot, but you're actually staring at somebody's face. And again, back to our prehistoric brains, we are not wired to gaze into somebody's eyes for minutes or hours Mm. at a time and not feel an intimate connection and not feel like they are an expert and we're gonna do exactly what they say. It's, It's really bizarre in terms of our history as a species. And so that's what makes it so powerful as an influence and we have influencers. And so the source of information really, really does matter. Boy, it does. I was I was looking at a study just recently that showed that a lot of young women especially are more likely to want to get their advice from social media than from a professional. That's right. Well, that's where they are. They're on there all day long. And, you know, you've got your static boomer website and people are going to go look at that and try to look a lot of financial planners don't even have videos on there or even their faces on there. And how do you expect to engage a population where they, they are having an intimate and it's a one way direction, but you know, our brains don't really pay attention to that. It's like a pseudo relational experience and it has a real powerful influence on them. So I'm always encouraging financial planners, people who have this expertise to, uh, you know, I know it's a little bit scary and I know you got to get through your compliance department, but get on that, get on those apps and start creating some educational content because people are getting very confused. They're being misled. And a lot of this, this stuff targets the most vulnerable. So people like me, quite frankly, growing up in a lower socioeconomic environment where we don't have mentors and we're not sure what to do. It's so frustrating to see that uh, the compliance department, which is, as you know, as as well as anybody, created for a lot of great reasons, is holding so many smart people back. But um, I want to get back into psychology for just a second, because I really want to ask you about this. Early on in the book, in your new book, you talk about these two systems in our brain. We have system one and system two, and one's working very fast. The other one's working very slow. I think this is an important concept for people to know as well and be aware of so that we kind of know what's going on in our head. Can you explain these two systems that are going yeah, on? Yeah. So, so another way to look at it is we have like this animal brain, right? And so that's actually most of our brain. Most of your brain is operating below your conscious awareness. It's responsible for your instincts, you know, your sleep wake cycle, all of that. This is the part of the brain that is making most of our decisions and marketers know this and people who are really good at sales know this. And so what they will do is they'll feed that brain images of like, um, you know, sexual prowess, you know, being attractive to members of the opposite sex, having access to resources, ugh, ugh. You know, this is what kept your cave person ancestors alive was this sort of base level of survival. And so what happens is that gets, we get spoken to at that level. And the next thing you know, you're engaging in a financial behavior. The challenge is for us to engage the, it's called the prefrontal cortex or the scientist part of your brain. And this is why we encourage people like to not make buying decisions rapidly, not make, you know, don't buy and trade stocks when you're upset or excited, all that sort of thing. Because what happens is when you become emotionally charged, you become rationally challenged. It almost turns off that part of your brain that thinks through the consequences. And then you act in a way 
that was really built to survive, you know, in that tribal society where you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger. We are engaging with that part of our brain in our financial lives, and it always is terrible. It's absolutely terrible. So putting some time between that impulse and action so you can fire up that prefrontal cortex, and that's actually where financial planners can often play a role as sort of a stopgap between our impulse to do something and then actually pulling the trigger on it. Man, I love that. And what I love about it is something that I had to learn by myself when I was buying cars, <laughs> because I've always felt like when I buy some of these high ticket items, there's a salesperson attached and the person is totally doing exactly what you're saying. They totally do. And you know what I found? I want to get along with this person, Brad. I totally want to get along with this person. You know, I don't want to say no. They seem great. I know they make more money if I buy from them and I'm, I'm predisposed to want to share, right? Based on everything that you've said already, I found that instead of saying, no, I just got to disengage. Like I just got to find a way just to disengage so I can apply the shock absorber and then not play the game at all. Right, right. And they, they do things that are very sort of kinesthetic and emotional, like, oh, oh, here, sit inside. No, no, sit inside. You know, it's yeah. not just look at it. Say, How does that feel? Oh, check out this seat. Oh, do you, oh, that smell. Ooh, isn't that incredible? Just imagine all the heads turning, Joe, as you're driving this thing down the road. And they're not wrong. And they <laughs> exactly. are not wrong. Yes, it's all good. And and I love it. And then and then I think I can't afford this. And it's a whole different, whole different thing. Right. I love that. So if we're out there hiring a financial planner, mm -hmm. how do we make sure that this person is going to work with me on what's going on up here? And for people that are, aren't watching us on YouTube, they're, they're listening. I'm pointing to my head. Yeah. That, that people, somebody's going to work in my head and not just do these transactional discussions. Because when I started off and many of the discussions that still happen, as you know, are around just goal achievement. Even if somebody's a good financial planner, mm -hmm. they're talking about what's your goal? How do we achieve it? But the stuff that you're talking about is a whole nother level. How do I make sure my pro is incorporating that? What what questions should I be asking? Yeah, I think I would look for, you know, like you're, like you're describing too, it's a bit non-traditional in the sure. sense that most people are going to financial planners for asset management or, or a financial plan or, you know, getting a review of like what sort of insurances they should get. So it's a very sort of practical solution focused type of approach. But now people know about behavioral finance and and sort of the psychological aspects. And so I think I would just ask them directly, like, do you how do you work with clients around like um, financial behaviors or investing behaviors or how um, do you have any advice that you give clients on how to best work with money within their their relationship or working with their kids and, and just ask the question? Because because yeah. quite frankly, too, a lot of financial planners, to your point, you weren't trained in psychology. But if you've been a financial planner for a long time and you have any degree of success, chances are you faced many of these issues. And a financial planner will be able to talk to you about how they've worked with clients through some of those challenges. It's funny because so often in the communities that I'm in online, people talk about a financial planner and they had me do nothing. And often, as you know... <laughs> As you know better than anybody, Dr. Klontz, doing nothing is often the the right thing to do. Right. And I would ask, you know, how do you usually communicate with your clients? And then the other thing I would do is think about how you want to have that relationship go. Because many financial planners are very open to delivering an experience that you want, and they're not going to be able to know exactly what you want. So don't be afraid to interview them and, and ask for what you want in terms of your relationship with a financial advisor. 
Yeah, if I'm at the car dealership, can I call you and have you walk me off the walk me off the ledge? Yeah. By the way, the last time I bought a car, I, I uh, had my father on call, and so when they would go into the other room, I oh, I got to talk to my supervisor, and he'd come back, and I said, okay, that's great. Well, I got to go talk to my CPA, and so I would then leave, and so his boss was being the jerk, and my CPA was pretty strict about what I could spend. Perfect. So you might want to try that one. Yeah. No. It, well. <laughs> Well, and I just love the idea of just <laughs> having the right people in your corner, you know, that will lie for you sometimes. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, I know he's going back there and just taking a smoke break and drinking some coffee. There's oh, sure. back there. No, no. So it's always good to yield to a higher authority and blame them. Then, then you can feel really good. Well, and specifically to your point, I used to sell water softeners. I was in the telemarketing division. This is one of the crappy jobs I had during college. The salesperson would call me. And would say, Hey, Joe, can you get the, can you get Ralph on the line? Because I think that, I, I think that we need to see if uh, we can give these people a discount or, or he'd say, Hey, can you check in the back room and see if we've got the trade show model? And then, so I go, sure. And I, I'd, I'd sit there on the phone and I go, yup, we got the one from the trade show. It's sitting right here. And so the guy goes, hold on a second. Um, uh, Dr. Klontz, the trade show, it's a little beat up, but nobody looks at your water softener. It's going to work just fine. Do you guys care? And the funny thing is we're selling the exact same one. It was so slimy. Oh, it was right. But it, it works. Was, it, it does work. You it's have to all... protect yourself. You have to be aware of it. And I think that's that's the the piece of advice I would have for going into a sales situation. You're a buyer. Just just understanding that in some cases too, like like Las Vegas, for example, there are like teams of behavioral scientists that are have gotten together to organize this experience in the most effective way to separate you from your money and to engage your animal brain. And I think it's really helpful to go into every buying situation, being aware of that. Same thing with supermarkets. There are teams of behavioral scientists have spent a lot of time thinking about your experience throughout that entire store. And so the more you can be, the less you can trust yourself in the bottom line, the less you can trust your instincts around spending, the better off you're going to be. Well, and also the more time you spend thinking about that, the more time, the more time I think if they've got a whole damn team that's trying to get money on my wallet, why wouldn't I spend 15 minutes putting together just a little micro strategy on this? You know, that's absolutely right. Yeah. Your brand new book is the psychology of financial planning for financial planners. If you're a financial planner in the audience, man, if you're not talking about uh, psychology with your clients, I think as you can hear us talking today, you're missing out. Is that available? How do, how do CFPs and financial planners, financial coaches get your new book? Yeah. So um, I hear that um, it's out now. I haven't gotten my copy yet, um, but Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any, any bookseller. And I will say this too, because don't hold this against me, but I'm a professor, although I don't like to admit it. Um, we wrote this book for practitioners because yeah. that's what I want to read. I, oh, I no, no, no. This is, this is clearly a book for practitioners. However, if you're a financial planner, if you are a practitioner, this is great. I would encourage people that are not practitioners to do one of two things. Read your last book, Brad, called Money Mammoth. Yes, which goes into the mammoth brain and the things that we talked about, where, where this all comes from. And uh, check out your YouTube videos, which are uh, not quite as professional. Well, right. And TikTok is almost shameful. So um, <laughs> don't watch TikTok <laughs> unless you're willing to lose massive amounts of uh, respect for me. <laughs> it's I get more respect for you, brother. I get more respect for you because... Bringing it to people that need it so bad, I think is, is fantastic. Well, it's about time we got you on, man. Thank you so much for hanging out with us a little bit and talking about psychology and money. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Joe. I really appreciate it. 
Hi, I'm Mitchell Walker, and when I'm not teaching people how to find hidden money, I'm out stacking Benjamins. Have you noticed over the years, OG, you having to be more of a of a uh, therapist and spending more time on behavior and less time on just, you know, strategy of your goals to get from A to B? Are you talking about like on this show? Like with you two guys, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I need way more therapy now than I used to. I agree. <laughs> talking about with your clients, you find yourself, uh-huh. uh, you know, helping people stay the course more. It's the single most important thing. Yeah. I mean, there's a study that Dalbar does every year called the quantitative analysis of investor behavior. And the report shows that the average investor underperforms the average investment by something like 3% a year. Vanguard has talked about this as well in some research that they do. Of course, that doesn't apply to anybody who's listening to this because it's like Lake Wobegon from the radio program where everybody's above average. No one ever capitulates on their investment decisions when they listen to a finance podcast. That's not our people. I saw a quote the other day that I thought was really quite interesting about investing. And it said, the stock market will find your own weakest personal trait and then do everything in its power to use it against you. Yeah. And you know, that's a hundred percent behavioral. That's a behavioral quote. Do you think that the CFP board does enough in this area? I mean, we finally have something dealing with behavior, but it seems to me like for somebody to truly be a certified financial planner, there needs to be even more work in this area. Do you think that we need a bigger percentage of the work that uh, people need to do to become a CFP is around behavior. It's really interesting because I see the different levels of kind of learning that goes on. I, I, I just can't, I can't say that there's any substitute for being in a room with a client or lately Zoom talking with them and their families about money versus learning about how to talk about money. You know what I mean? You can learn it all you want to learn. It's the actual communication and empathy and to some extent, having done it. We talk a lot on the show about the mistakes that we've made money-wise and some that we continue to make. That puts us in the on the same side of the table as clients as it relates to their experiences. I think it's super helpful to talk from a personal perspective of, Yes, I know what it's like having three kids and thinking about college and retirement at the same time. It's because it's what we do at our house. And I know you guys have gone through it too, right? Your kids are a little bit older. So it's it's conversations that you've had. It's, hey, we've been through a recession. I, I was just talking to somebody the other day about this. I started planning in 1999 at American Express. And, and everything in the 90s, as some people may recall, was pretty pretty simple. It was like dart at a dartboard. It was really fun. I remember sitting in front of my computer going, what's going to IPO today? And I would go, sweet. I've never heard of it, but I'm putting a thousand bucks in it. Oh, bam, made, made, a, th- made a thousand, bought a thousand, made a thousand. I, I can tell people how to do this. Then I learned how to really do financial planning you know, through the training that I got from you, Joe, and other people. So I started in July of 1999. March of 2000 was the high water mark. <laughs> you know, it went, 
you know, <laughs> this is super easy or this or is not. super easy or not. And so for three years, 2000 through 2003, the market was pretty flat, you know, down a whole bunch and flat. It's horrible. And we had a slow rising period and then another big recession. And so in the first 10 years of my career, I had the two biggest recessions since Great Depression. In the moment, that felt pretty crappy, you know? Like, golly, I thought this investing thing would be easy. I thought this planning thing would be easy. But I wouldn't trade those experiences for anything. And I think it's something to consider when you're talking to people who have their entire life experience being the last decade or the last 10 or 12 years. I mean, there's people almost now that have 15 years of experience that really this is their first like blah period. And, and it's lasted a whopping nine months you know, it's like, no, no, hold my beer. This can go on for three years. And we did that twice. It's so I think it's really important to to have that experience. And so I have I'm happy that the CFP board is having some sort of conversation around this, but nothing will substitute actual conversations. Nothing will substitute just actual life experience in this, I don't think. I do think, though, giving people these tools, you know, just, okay, when this happens, here's how you deal with other people, almost like grief counselors, right? I mean, people that know the milestones. I agree, you can't see through anybody's eyes as well as you can if you've been there right? and you've seen it before, but still having the tools, even if you've been there before. I mean, how many times have you been around people that you're like, are you kidding me? Did you just really say that? Like, out of all the things that you could have said to this person, even if you've been there before, you really don't know how to deal with it. So I do like them putting those those tactics with helping people in place. I think it's a great addition. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, Doug, they put what you value first. Tell you, what I'm valuing right now is finding hiking boots that are wide enough. As I age, my feet are becoming like polar bear paws. They're like, they're more round than long. And I just... I hike five miles a day and I cannot find boots that are wide enough. It's killing me. You know what they say, OG? Wide feet, round dude. You're you're turning that into a fat dude joke? (laughs) You got fat feet? I am a peak (laughs) athletic specimen. I I swear to God, I am. I do. Don't swear to God. Don't do that. Don't do that. No. What? We don't want lightning to hit the <laughs> basement. <laughs> don't don't, don't swear did. to God on your peak physical abilities. I've, <laughs> I, I've seen you golf. I, I've seen you do play basketball. I've seen you do lots of stuff. Basketball? Really? He's not. He's making know. it up. He's not. I mean, we had basketball hoop point at my house. I thought you played. Uh, no, but I did one of those DNA tests for other reasons, and you get all the traits back. And it said I had the muscle composition of elite athletes. The fact that you've done nothing with it is elite. <laughs> is so but elite. The potential is there. Every, every day he wakes up going, today, well, you know, tomorrow could be the day. I don't feel like it today, but you know, I can, whenever I feel like it, I can. It's your loved ones in your time that you should value first. And that's why Haven Life is made buying quality term life insurance. Actually simple. You go to stackybedjamins.com slash Haven Life. You'll get a free quote, their application. It's super simple. They've taken out all of those questions that they already know the answer to. It's now very streamlined. It's online. You get an instant covers decision so you can go about your life and do those things that are important and something super important, getting this done. 
which is why their prices are affordable. All policies also issued by their parent company, Mass Mutual, more than a 160-year-old insurer. Today, we're going to throw out the lifeline to our new friend, Scott. Hey there, Scott. Hi, Joe and uh, OG. Just uh, calling to ask a question here. It's my first time calling into the show. Um, really enjoyed your stuff over the past few years. It's really helped me and my young family become more financially literate as um, we grow. The question I have for you here is, um, we just recently moved to South Carolina and uh, we moved into a new build house here from New Jersey. So saving a lot of money with that move uh, on a mortgage. Uh, We recently have had a a bunch of solicitors come by the house as a new build uh, house uh, development has happened. And uh, we had a solar company come by and try to talk to us about adding solar under a house. I don't really want to, you know, get another loan here, but it sounds really good to own your own solar on top of your home. Um, South Carolina gives us tax credits and then as well as the federal tax credits that we receive here in in the states. Um, Just wanted to get your idea on if this is a good investment and how you guys feel about solar on a home in general. Thanks. And I look forward to uh, hearing back from you guys. Bye. Scott, thanks for the question. And uh, we dove in a little bit into some of the changes on a recent episode. What was that? Maybe a month ago, OG, Uh, some of the changes with the new law. So in our newsletter, the 201 and in the uh, show notes, we'll include a link to that show where you want to go to the headline segment of that show and dive in because the game has changed slightly. But OG, I don't think I ever would take a salesman's math. I would, I would, I would, they, they, they tend to know how to structure that math, but I think you need to do your own math. Am I wrong there? I think the question is, as we debate whether or not this is a good investment strategy, right? He said, is it a good investment on your house? I think it boils down to technology. And what I mean by that is from a technological standpoint, the cost of solar and the value that you can get out of each unit of solar, whether it's a solar panel or whatever you want to call, and the storage is going to continuously increase. Like the cost to produce it will go down, the cost to install it will go down, but the value that you get, it's like Moore's Law with computers. Like technology just continues to get faster and faster and faster. You know, you buy the latest and greatest iPhone, and it's already outdated because next year they're going to have a chip that's twice as fast and half as expensive. And I think that's the same thing that's going to happen in the solar space. Whether or not you live in an area that is conducive to it, I think is a super big thing to be considered of as well. And and whether or not you'd benefit from it. Part of the benefit of the uh, solar, I think, is the ability to store some of it in case of, you know, energy outage of some kind. So purely from that perspective, I think the longer that you wait, the cheaper that it becomes right? Like they're just going to get better at doing it, producing it, whatever you want to call it. I looked at it for our house and mathematically it didn't make sense because it would take 25 years to pay off the difference between the amount that I was saving in the, in the electric bill versus what I could get the, the energy for. And we live in Texas, lots of sun, (laughs) no rain. So I think some of that's going to depend on, on your energy usage and that sort of thing. But I think you're right, Joe. I don't know that you want to you know, use the traveling salesperson's door-to-door sales pitch as the uh, as the math to make it work. 
wait and see what your other neighbors do too. You know, I mean, if it, it, you'll see a common trend, right? I mean, you see areas in the country where this really works and the, and the social proof of it really working is everybody has it. That's not because that they got hit by the really good salesperson. That's because it really, it really works. For my neighbors, I went back afterwards after the segment that I just alluded to and talked to these people. They're on a board with me building walking trails around town. So I had the opportunity just a couple of days later to ask them. And their crossover OG was six years, about six, close to six and a half years, which is great, which is absolutely fantastic. Well, maybe if you're going to be there for six or seven years. That's well, well, that's true too. That's also a thought as well. But does it then change the game also for the for the resale value? I don't know the answer to that. But what I do know is two things. Number one, using the salesperson's math alone is wrong. I love the idea OG, of talking to your neighbors, anybody that you know that has it. What do they have? People that bought from the same company and not referred to you, by the way, by the salesperson. You want to try to find that person independent of the salesperson. And But then the second thing also that I worry about is that the game has definitely been changing with selling back power to utilities. We've seen the utilities taking that away, working hard on their lobbies with mm-hmm. government entities to take that away. So if you're also doing part of the math based on selling it back, which was a piece of this math a few years ago, I would not include that in your math because uh, utilities are lobbying hard. While they were telling you not to do solar because it was a waste of money, they were out doing it all themselves and then lobbying Congress to make sure that your ability to do it yourself was less and less. Do your own research. Thanks for the question, Scott. Oh, did you have something, Doug? Well, I just, I sure as heck hope we're not sending this guy a t-shirt. Oh, absolutely. Send he didn't him a even t-shirt. mention me. Look, look, th- we got to put up a new rule. Like if you're going to call in and say, hey, Joe and OG, and like, I don't even exist. I'm not even part of the team. You can't get a t-shirt for that. I think that's uh, criteria number one. <laughs> if you mention Doug, you don't get a t-shirt. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Oh, that would be so good. That'd be so good. No, independent of that. Great question. Uh, I love the idea yeah. of doing doing your math. I love the idea of not trusting the salesperson. Yeah, I think he clearly gets one. It's a fine question. He just, I just don't really like the way he packaged it. <laughs> Stackybenjamins.com slash voicemail. Scott, uh, thumbs up from two thirds of the table here. Thumbs down from the third, which I think you can wear as a badge of honor, my friend. Hey, that's going to do it for today. Man, we've got some fun stuff happening here in the basement this week. Coming up on Wednesday, I am back in town, OG, for another 10 weeks before I actually go go away again. So we're doing Instagram Lives on Wednesday afternoon. Those are going to be fun. We also have some special events happening on Fireside. If you subscribe to the 201, our newsletter, you will get all of that information. We go live. And by the way, that's going to be your opportunity to sit in with some of these thought leaders and ask your own questions. So stackybenjamins.com slash 201 to sign up for our newsletter and to get all those. Last week, by the way, we had another great fintech creator, Tara Falcone from Reason, which is cool. She talks about OG timelining your goals. And it is a, it's a financial app that helps you timeline your goals. Free app, get everything out there, target different accounts that you have to go toward different goals Step number one, I think, of getting where you want to go. But if you're not here to talk about apps, you're not here to hang out on social, you are here because you're concerned about the markets and the chatter around 
recession, all this discussion we had during our headline segment today. You want to have the right behaviors? Well, OG and his team put together a free guide that shares eight moves to make in a down market. It'll help you plan more, panic less, no matter what the market does. So head over to stackingbenjamins.com slash guide. That's stackingbenjamins.com slash guide, and you'll get this helpful free guide from OG. So thanks for that, OG. Thanks to you for hanging out with us. Doug, I think you got it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, first, take some advice from Brad Klontz. Look at your behavior and psychology as much as your balances. Second, bonds? Yeah, while we agree they might make money over the short run, stick with your long-term plan. If you need money for your goals that are 10-plus years away, equities have been a far better option. But the big lesson? These shock collars aren't just for dogs. They're also for moms who know how electrocution is sometimes the best medicine. Can I take it off now, please, Ma? There's a sale at the... Ah, jeez! Man. Thanks to Brad Klontz for joining us today. You can find more about his work at bradklontz.com. We'll also include links in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show is the property of SB Podcasts, LLC, copyright 2022, and is created by Joe Salcihai. Our producer is Karen Repine. The show is written by the brilliant Paulette Perhatch, with help from Joe, me, and Doc G from the Earn and Invest podcast. After you listen to our show, check out the 201 Deep Dives, written by our website manager and blog editor, Brooke Miller. You'll find the 411 on all things money at the 201. Just go to stackingbenjamins.com slash 201. Once we bottle up all this goodness, we ship it to our engineer, the amazing Steve Stewart. Steve helps the rest of our team sound nearly as good as I do right now. Want to chat with friends about the show later? Mom's friend Gertrude is our social media coordinator and the room mother in our Facebook group called The Basement. So, say hello when you see us posting online. Here's a weird fact. Both she and Tina Eichenberg are never in the same room at the same time. To join all the basement fun with other stackers, type stackingbenjamins.com slash basement. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you next time back here at The Stacking Benjamin Show. Not only should you not take advice from these dorks, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any financial decisions, speak with a real financial advisor. No announcers were harmed during the recording of this episode. Wait, I was harmed. I was totally... I'm still getting harmed.
Joe, have you ever been to Topolino's? No. Where's it at? Riviera. The the like European Riviera? <laughs> I'm just carrying on your conversation from the other day about Disney. So obviously I'm talking about the Disney. Oh, Riviera. I'm sorry. <laughs> obviously I'm talking about the character dining experience at the Disney Riviera Resort. A, co- a conversation I shot. we had a week ago. No, I, so Joe, I get why you would say that because people do that stuff, and you're like, my wife does that. Like, seriously, that was days ago, and you just start in the middle of a sentence, and you expect me to know exactly where you are. But as soon as anybody asks you about anything related to the Disney Empire, I assume you just dial in and get focused like a fighter pilot, like you are just, <laughs> you just oh yeah, I was there seventeen times last decade and That's you need to sit at table number 53 it's their newest hotel and i've never been in it so i don't know the restaurants inside of that particular hotel the hotels are more difficult because there's so many of them like knowing what restaurants are there no idea i think og gets a prize though for bringing up anything related to disney that you didn't know about we're going for points is this the new drinking game this is yeah this is the new drinking game see if uh (laughs) You can stump Joe on the Disney. He knows every item in the gift shops. Can't tell if this is a rugged, is this a rugged uh, OG look? Or is this a disheveled, like just rolled out of bed because he, because he had to get up at bleep in 4 a.m. to make reservations for uh, Be Our Guest Restaurant for lunch at uh, 2.05 p.m. When are you going? Thanksgiving. 60 days from today, as a matter of fact. You know how I know that? Because it's 60 days from today. <laughs> Let the countdown begin. If, if, if it wasn't copyrighted music, we'd play Ring of Fire right now. Yeah. Bum, 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 man. So, Joe, you immediately know what the 60-day counter means. Mega geeks get all the good Disney reservations because they know at the 60-day mark, that's right when you can get it. Not only is it 60 days, it's 60 days at exactly 4.45 a.m. Central Time. But they um, took some liberties with that, despite the fact that that's what the website said. It's, it's you know, 4.45 Central a.m. Um, by that, we mean maybe like 5.05. So you should definitely get up at 4, so you're totally ready at 4.45 and you should totally load your credit card in in advance. And then when you hit submit, it'll go. So you want us to use the credit card that you deleted yesterday, right? And you're like, no, I would like to use the credit card that I added yesterday and updated yesterday. Do I, so I have to go get my new credit card out of the living room at 4 a.m. That's cool. Let me go get it real fast. Oh, hold on a second. Okay, submit. Oh, Oh, now, now, oh, now, now I get to log in again. Excellent. Let me log in real fast. Oh, that 12.05 lunch at uh, Chef Mickey's? Yeah, no longer available. Sorry. So thanks, Bob, whatever the hell your last name is at uh, Disney. You're really running a tight ship there. Bob, Bob, uh, Paycheck. Paycheck, Chapek, some sort of stupid name. Johnny Paycheck? All the Disney fans call him Bob Paycheck because dude's running the company into the ground while he uh, makes tons of money. I I honestly wonder, especially when there's like really bad service like that, like like experience. It's not even the service. You know, I mean, they can't control, right? The, The restaurant's so big, it's only seat so many people, you know, I get it. They're doing their thing. But I wonder how many Disney people actually go through that experience. Like, go, you know what? We should run this. Let's red team this out from day one. Okay, so we made reservations. Now what? Okay, Bill, get up at four o'clock in the morning. And and like the first thing you'd go like, 
well, that's dumb. Can, can we just launch? Can we have the reservations at 8 a.m.? No, no, it's got to be. It's got to be 4 a.m. Well, how about 10 p.m. the night before? No, 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 no. It's gonna be great. Let's do it at four. Like one person does that from <laughs> Disney, and they great. go, "This is this is stupid. This is like a really terrible service model to make." I mean, thank God I live in the Central Time Zone and not freaking California, because those dudes are getting up at 2 a.m. Two. Well, and I'll tell you what else too. Now that they they changed the uh, ride system, oh, so I, that I, the f- I can't even. I can't process that right now. Don't. <laughs> Don't don't come at Fast me with it. Poke, poke the bear, Joe. Do it. do it. Do it. It's horrible. <laughs> do you know what the worst part is? You're outside. You're enjoying your family, supposedly. And as I walked around the parks twice in the, so I hate it so much. I went twice see? in the last four months. Yeah, everybody's staring at their phone. Everybody's staring yeah. at their phone because that's where all the ride crap is. Because you have to do that, and then and then you pay extra money to go. Well, now do you really want, how badly do you want to go? Because you can buy the subscription thing and then you pay more money to, it's, I haven't priced it out yet. I, I'm, I'm too scared. Be our guest. Be our guest. And this is really for number three kid, right? Yeah. I mean, the boys will like it too. I, it's fine oh, once on, you get there. You. It's just such it's a, for you. It's such a yes. cluster F getting there. And in fact, listen, I were talking about this yesterday, <laughs> like yesterday, <laughs> seemed like yesterday, actually, you know, four hours ago when... When we were lying in bed with our laptops open, exactly like every couple dreams of, you know, hey, so what happens if we wake up in the middle of the night? You know, what should we do? Oh, should we cuddle? No, let's get out our laptops and make reservations at Chef Mickey's. Like we're slamming the like button to try to, you know, (laughs) yelling at each other. I got 1105. No, 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 don't take two. No, no, no. So romantic. I said, one day our kids will repay us with this. And she's like. You mean like taking us, to, taking us with their snot-nosed kids to Disney? Right. We're never going to want to go back there. Can't wait to have our kids take invite us with their with their snot-nosed kids to Disney when we're old and grandparents. That's going to be awesome. I said, yeah, but they'll take care of the reservations. I'll be like, we got reservations at Topolino's, Dad. We finally got it. I'd be like, that crap hole. That thing's been around for forty years. By the time we get in, you know, we <laughs> we uh, we went. Uh, oh gosh, probably like oh five, oh seven, somewhere in there, and we didn't do any of this. Uh, so either we just missed out on a whole set of opportunities about going to the great restaurants and all of that. Yeah, yeah, but, you did. But we went. I feel like we we went to some great rides. We got to do Pirates of the Caribbean, and I don't know, I don't know what it, you know the differences are between oh seven and now because it's been fifteen years, but. It was we had the same stuff time. then, restaurant-wise. Did, didn't have all the stress. We ate at places. We had food. I can't say that we were at the bestest places ever, but is it possible to just do that again? Can you do that in 2022 and just show up and as long as you got a hotel room, you can walk in you the park? Can. And, no, it's you worse can. Than I still that. wouldn't do that in a million years. I would say it's worse than that, Doug, because when you get, so if you, you know, you get your hotel room and then you get your Disney park tickets, you have to pick in advance what park you're going to go to. You can't even like game day decision. I mean, you can, sometimes there's room. Yeah, you can. But, I mean, you can do that. Well, you can do that. You can do the hopper thing. If there's room, you still have to pick what uh, you what have to say, like starting at today's the day I'm going to Magic Kingdom. And yeah. then they may say, well, Epcot's full. And you go, but I want to go to Epcot. They're like, yeah, too bad. Sorry, it's full. But you can, you can still, you can still hopper pass over there. I was talking to people while I was there. I was asking them because I was at the Magic Kingdom getting ready to go over to Epcot. 
and I asked about getting uh, my reservation for the Guardians of the Galaxy ride. And they said, well, you got to be at the, you got to be at Epcot. And, um, mm-hmm. and then they said, but by the way, that's a great thing to do. If Epcot's full, make your reservation for some other park, do half a day at a different park and then hop over there and you get around the, the quote park is full thing. So basically it's another $50 per ticket. Got it. Okay, cool. Per day. All right. Fun. Yeah. Just an add-on fee of thirty nine ninety five to be able to, to be able to do what Happiest we just Hashtag Disney magic. But Doug, to answer your question, uh, the, the restaurants are something that changes the game. Like to me, changes the game completely. I sat at uh, Tony's restaurant, in main street, right on the rail and watch the, watch the parade go by while I was eating lunch while families are, you know, trying to get their spot for the parade front row seat to the parade just through reservation. And by the way, it's not that popular restaurant. So I didn't have to do the 60 day thing. I did it like 10 days before. Bam. So you can go to a real unpopular restaurant, Doug, anytime you want, basically. It's a super restaurant. I'm never going back there. I didn't, it was, I don't get it. I honestly don't get why You don't get go, it because you did it wrong. It's like my wife saying she doesn't like cake donuts. My wife says she doesn't like donuts because she loves cake donuts. I'm like, that's because you eat donuts. If you eat <laughs> donuts, you're going to hate it. So you go to Disney, you do it wrong, and then you go, God, I don't get it. Of course you don't get it because you didn't do it right. I think we need right. an intervention, Joe. I think we have to have a field trip. Field trip. Why am field I? Trip. Why am I getting screamed at? Because you're not doing Disney right, and this is Disney magic. You must embrace the magic. It's Disney. Smile for God's sake for and the you're pictures. You're gonna have fun. You're gonna have fun whether you like it or not. It always. It, it does. It just always cracks me up when people say they they don't like it, and then they tell me what they did. I'm like, I would have no. hated it too. No, no, no I would have no, totally I, hated it. No, I'm not saying I hated it. Actually, we had a, no, we had a good day. My point is, it isn't a great enough thing for me. Like theme parks in general, isn't a a, a big enough trigger tripper for me to be like, oh, I'm going to do whatever I can to maximize this experience. It's just not. It's cool. It's fine, but it just doesn't do it for me. So I don't get why Whatever, dork. Yeah. people go to such extreme lengths to try to make it the perfect experience. Because it's just, in general, those kinds of places are... Well, it's the same thing. We talked about national parks, and why don't I like national parks? I can't stand the freaking crowds. You know I'm not going to like... You're such a fun sponge. He just sounds like a heck of a guy to hang around, doesn't he, Joe? <laughs> like, I don't like being outside. I don't like being at parks. I don't like rides. I don't like restaurants. I just want to be alone. I saw a quote the other day that I thought was really quite interesting about investing. And it said, the stock market will find your own weakness. Sorry, three, two, one. The stock market will find your own weakest personal straight. How come I can't read? Three, two, one. The stock market will find your own personal... <laughs> What's worse is that this shit is f-ing bold too. It's like bolded. There's like seven words. And I can't It's the Benadryl. Now we have to include all of this. Doug made me take Benadryl. He said, don't take more than three. So I didn't. That's the after after show right there. <laughs> the stock market, three, two, one. The stock market will find your own weakest personal trait and then do everything in its power to use it against you. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, 
who is such a giving person, Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.